Welcome to the Piedmont Arts Podcast, presented by WDAV and powered by Ortho Carolina. This is Frank Dominguez for the WDAV Piedmont Arts Podcast, and this time we're looking ahead to the season opening production for Piedmont Opera in Winston-Salem. It'll be performed at the Stevens Center on Friday, October 27th at 8 p.m., with other performances on Sunday the 29th at 2 p.m. and Tuesday the 31st at 7.30 p.m. And despite the Halloween show date, this is actually an opera with a powerful Christmas theme, which we'll discuss, as well as some of the other offerings by Piedmont Opera this season. My guest is the conductor and longtime general director and artistic director of the company, James Albritton, and it's a pleasure to welcome him for a long overdue visit here to WDAV. Hi, Jamie. (laughs) Thanks, Frank. You're very kind. Let's begin by talking about the opening production, Silent Night. Yeah, we're very excited about this show. Um... It's our 40th anniversary season this year, and I, I was looking for something to really challenge the company as we enter our mid-age here. <laughs> and um, it's also the 100th anniversary of America's entrance into World War One, And uh, this opera, it's a timely opera on multiple levels, but the, the entry point certainly for us was we've got these two events to celebrate. This would be a great time to look at this opera uh, and the opera is Silent Night. It's by uh, Kevin Putz and Mark Campbell. Uh, it's a beautiful opera. It premiered in Minnesota in 2011 and won the Pulitzer Prize in 2012. Wow. So, And it has traveled the globe in its slight six years of life. So it's it's a it's a really exciting opera. It's a beautiful opera. It's a touching opera. As I've said to so many people, uh, I don't know a better way for an opera company right now to serve its community than to uh, produce an opera in which three different groups of men are sent into a location to basically kill each other. They all speak three different languages. They have no means of communication and somehow in the name of their humanity manage to override all of that and communicate with each other to create peace. And I just I think not only in terms of celebrating uh, or honoring the First World War, uh, the, that message is uh, very useful for us today. And it should be said that this is actually based on a true historical event. Yes. Um, uh, this is the the time of this opera is 1914. It's set in the first Christmas of the First World War. And uh, as the uh, troops approached this Christmas, uh, the war was going nowhere fast. They were getting very frustrated. And all of the generals and the crown prince and all the leaders of these countries that were at uh, war with each other to keep the troops going, they sent them little Christmas presents in the trenches, if you can imagine. Uh, in our particular opera, we have a, a Scottish platoon, a French platoon, and a German platoon. And they send the Scots whiskey, of mm-hmm. course. They send the French uh, champagne and chocolates because that's what you want when you're knee deep in mud. And and they send the Germans little Christmas trees. Uh, uh, It's a German tradition. So he's they're trying a little nationalistic Christmas present there. And so with all of this at their fingertips, they're in the trenches and they start to relax a little bit and try to celebrate Christmas. And of course, in World War One, uh, this is all guns and knives and hand-to-hand combat. You're facing your enemy looking into his eye. So the the battlefields are not that large. And you've got one group of men in a trench over here and 20, 30 feet away, you've got another group of men in a trench and they're all celebrating Christmas. And 
you know, songs and, and things start to go across the trenches and all of a sudden they realize we're all we're all human beings at the end of the day and slowly but surely one or two of them comes out of the trench and the next thing you know we've a lot of people uh, celebrating Christmas. These Christmas truces uh, sprang up all over the place in that uh, first Christmas and this particular one that the opera is about, it was based on a story that was made into a film in the early 2000s, uh, Joyeux Noël, it was a French film. And uh, the man that run that ran at the time, Minnesota Opera, saw the film and said this would make a great opera. And he brought it to uh, Mr. Putz and Mr. Campbell. And the next thing you knew, you got a Pulitzer Prize winning opera. I imagine mounting and presenting a contemporary opera has unique challenges. So talk about that briefly. What's the experience been like for Piedmont Opera? Uh, certainly it is a challenge. It takes a very large cast to bring this particular opera together. Uh, if you look at sort of standard, much of our standard repertory in the middle of the 19th century with uh, Italian operas, you got to have a prima donna, you got to have the people to support her, maybe a, a good tenor, and you're good. Uh, I have at least, f uh, well, in terms of leading roles, I have four baritones alone. Wow. Uh, so it's it's... It's a large cast, and uh, uh, it's a it's a composer's language that we don't know anything about. And I that's not a slight to Mr. No. Putz. It's just in terms this is this was his first opera. He's written two since then. So when you have a cast and an orchestra come to start to put this together, it takes a minute to figure out. Okay, how what is this composer's language? Um, and in addition to that, with this particular opera, uh, you're dealing with. As I said, you've got Scots, you've got French, and you've got German. So you're tracking not one, not two, but three groups of lives. I mean, it's one thing to keep up with, you know, Violetta and Alfredo. <laughs> it's another thing to keep up with their entire family times three, you know. Mm -hmm. So so it takes a lot of time and a lot of care to bring all of those pieces together in a new composer's language. Um, in addition to that, uh, for this particular production, we're building a new production. Uh, it is a six-year-old opera, and there are productions out there, but there's nothing... I mean, if I... When I go to do a, a La Boheme, there's lots of opera companies out there that have a set that I can use, and that makes it a much easier uh, task. Uh, with this particular one, there was nothing out there that was close that would fit in the Stevens Center. Hmm. So I asked my my dear colleague, Norman Coates, who's been the lighting designer at Piedmont Opera for a very long time, to be the production designer on this from the word get-go, it was in my mind that projections and light would be a key element of uh, this production. The way Mr. Putz writes his opera, it moves very fluidly, like more like the pacing of a film than an right. opera. <laughs> so we needed to get from place to place within a matter of measures. And uh, so I went to Norman and talked to him about it. And after about a week or 10 days of thought, he agreed and has done a beautiful job of uh, pulling this production together. I'm really looking forward. I've seen his sketches. I've seen his paper models. I've seen some of the ideas he has about the projections, and I'm I'm looking forward to getting down to the theater next weekend and seeing it all come together. In terms of the story and the music, is there a moment uh, that you're especially excited about uh, staging? <laughs> wow, there are many. 
I mean, I have to tell you, I love this piece. I mean, I I talked to a, a composition class the other day at the School of the Arts, and they were asking me about a lot of contemporary operas, and you know, what did you think of this one? What did you think of that one? I, I like this one more than so many that I've heard because the the telling of the story is 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 just it's it, it, he is constantly in communication mode with the audience um on on just about every level you can think of you, you, your question is is there one is there a moment that i en- enjoy from a staging point of view and i have two answers to that because the way that my cast is rising to the challenge of putting a fierce battle on stage, which happens within the first 20 minutes or so of the opera, mm. is I'm just so proud of them and so grateful to them for working so hard. Uh, it, it's it's an, it's an amazing thing to watch my chorus uh, shoot each other and stab <laughs> each other. And, and, and fortunately, they're still alive at the end of the night. <laughs> but uh, uh, it's, it's, it's just amazing work that they're doing. Uh, and then having said that, there's there's a such a beautiful moment right after the battle the two in a row uh our our leading baritone gabriel pricer he he sings an aria about uh he he starts out writing uh he has to keep tally of all the injuries wounded dead that have gone through the battle it's a beautiful aria that then at the end of the aria he 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 realizes how tired he is, and he says, I'm going to finish this work tomorrow. Right now, I just want to try to sleep. And the word sleep then becomes the transition into this beautiful chorus for the all three of the armies to sing. And I just, I'm, I, once again, my, my chorus is rising to the occasion and singing very beautifully, and I'm, I'm looking forward to putting that chorus into the, the, the theater and, and continuing to tweak it as uh, the fellas and my chorus are right there with me. And I mean, that th- that's just, that's like maybe 10 minutes of this two hours of music that there's so much of it that I, I find. As a matter of fact, uh, Gabe uh, was out uh, for another engagement over the weekend and I had to fill in and sing some of his music. And there's one particularly moving moment when one of his uh, one of his uh, army gentlemen dies, and I got so choked up I couldn't even hardly sing his cues. <laughs> Just you know, watching it in front of me, it's yeah. it's 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 the the amazing thing is that you know we all as we're as we all sit around talking about where's the next great American opera, blah blah blah. Why doesn't anybody write comedies? Well, that's because tragedies equal greatness. And I'm, you know, if I'm going to be a genius, I have to write a, the next great tragedy, right? right? I mean, Verdi Falstaff, but I digress. Um, he infuses in the middle of this awful war and this story that has so so much tragedy in it, these brilliant little moments of comedy where you're just taken on, you're sitting in your chair and you're thinking, oh, this is so, and then all of a sudden this moment pops up that makes you laugh and then you're back into the the depths of this war and it's just i think it's very brilliantly done in that way the humanity of this story is always present uh you know even in some of our darkest days something happens and we have to laugh at it uh before we cry at it and and all of those 
all of those very human moments are present in the score, and I think that's one of the reasons why I admire, I admire it so much. Well, your enthusiasm for it is infectious, and I'm sure a lot of the <laughs> folks listening to this interview will feel the same way. Let's change gears briefly, though, and talk about some of the other operas that you'll be performing this season with Piedmont Opera. Yes. As I said when I announced the season, in the spring, we're moving to a battle of a very different type. <laughs> uh, as the uh, Major General Stanley fights for the safety of his daughters in the Pirates of Penzance. So uh, uh, we've speaking good transition frank <laughs> from a little a little spark of humor in the trenches to nonstop humor with the the pirates of penzance uh i think i i think it's an interesting uh uh, uh juxtaposition for lots of reasons uh uh, the Victorian era certainly casts its shadow into uh, the First World War, so I thought it was an interesting uh, link-up as well. Oh, absolutely. Um, but we're looking forward to having a little bit of foolishness. And it's nice that I have a big chorus of uh, fellows in the fall so that I can keep them engaged and have a big <laughs> chorus of pirates and policemen in the spring. Now, it seems for as long as I've been here at WDAV, and that's a long time, <laughs> you've been at Piedmont Opera. So when did you actually start with the company? And tell me a little bit about your tenure and how the company has grown and changed during that time. It's an interesting question because I came to Winston-Salem. I followed my wife, Marilyn Taylor. Uh, she joined the faculty in 92 as a temporary fill-in on the voice faculty, and we're both still there. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not at school any longer, but Marilyn is still, uh, she's now chair of the voice faculty. And this is UNC School of I'm the Arts? I'm sorry, yes, <laughs> UNC School of the Arts. And... Um, uh, at the time, the founder of the company, Norman Johnson, was also on the faculty, and I sang for him in that first year. And actually, I was I've sang leading roles with the company uh, back in the day. Um, Norman passed away very quickly, and I jumped in and helped uh, the company get through that uh, difficult time. And then I went on to work at the school and build the opera program there at the school. And uh, after several other uh, leaders at the company, they asked me if I would come on as artistic director, which I did 14 years ago. Uh, and I stayed artistic director until four years ago uh, when my direct predecessor, Frank Dickerson, retired. And they asked me if they, I would consider combining the job of executive director and artistic director and become the general director. And I was very happy to accept that challenge. And this is, as I say, this is my fourth year of doing it. And how has the company changed in all that time? I, bigger and better than ever? Well, um, I, you know, I, I don't like to... That's a subjective question. And if yeah. I say bigger and better than ever, somebody up there will say, yeah, you think so? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd like to think that... Um, Certainly, we're always trying to improve the artistic quality of what we do. And, and then again, okay, subjectivity, what does that mean? Uh, I'm always aware or always trying to be aware of my audience and what they, what they should know and what they'd like to know, what they should hear, what they'd like to hear, uh, and, and make a balance of that and always trying to keep up with what's happening uh, from a production point of view. Like I say, with Silent Night, we're using some of the latest theater technology to project mm -hmm. images and, and, and keep our storytelling in the 21st century as well as our music making. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, you, you, it's imperative, I think, that you try to keep up with the times. Audiences are not... Uh, 
naive any longer with these little devices that we keep in our pockets. You want to know what's going on in the world. It's, you know, a, a Google search away. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you have to do your best. Um, and I'd like to think we're, we're, we're keeping up to some degree. And certainly with our first 21st century opera uh, that, by the way, is selling very well. Uh, uh, last season we did Tosca, and here we are uh, with uh, Silent Night, and we're kind of doing the same business. So Great. that's encouraging that on is. so many levels. Uh, it's exciting to me. So, uh, I gave a talk the other day, and I said um, I spoke to them about this as our first contemporary opera, and I know there are two words in that sentence that scare you: contemporary and opera. <laughs> so, <laughs> but uh, to be able to present something. I, I teach a class with Wake Forest called Lifelong Learning, mm-hmm. and uh, when we did, for example, Rigoletto, I taught four classes before uh, my class came to see the opera on the play, on the culture, on Verdi, and that was fantastic. Did they need to know that before they came? I don't know. That's that's subjective, too. Mm-hmm. But um, certainly it enhanced their their experience coming to the opera. With Silent Night, I could I can tell you a few things about the opera, but this guy's living at the same time that we are, breathing the same air that we're breathing, uh, struggling through the same difficulties that we're all struggling through. So when we see this opera on stage, I think part of the reason that it is uh, that it communicates to us so directly is because it's of our time. It's it's nothing to be feared. It's nothing to be put off in in favor of. Puccini's beautiful melodies, and again, not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's just a very different operatic experience, and to see audiences warm to that is very encouraging to me and tells me that we must be doing something well. One final question for you. I'm sure that you've found that audiences for Piedmont Opera come to the experience from many different uh, perspectives and backgrounds. Uh, What do you think all those audience members have in common? that brings them to Piedmont Opera to partake in the great works that you produce, whether they're contemporary or from the past? They want to see a good story. Many would say, you're looking for escapism. I I think they're looking for more than that when they come to the opera. They're looking for uh, something to speak to them. They're looking for something that that will open a part of their consciousness or their emotional life that that maybe they're missing. Uh, I think that's what intrigues people about this story is that, you know, oh, this this opera set only 100 years ago. I mean, that's kind of the boundary for opera. If it gets too close to your own modern time, it's hard to imagine people singing it all the time because we don't do that. But put a little space and time on it and, okay, I can imagine that as an opera. And then take that a step further and and say this is an event that maybe my grandfather or my great-grandfather, somebody in my family actually was a part of. I've had a lot of people uh, write me letters and send me emails, you know, oh, this is a picture of my grandfather in his uniform or my brother was buried there and, you know, different things like that. And, and I think that those experiences, then let me go find out what this is about and let me also be, be touched by this. I mean, uh, movies are exciting and all, but it's, you know, even in, in 3D land, it's not the same. We're in 3D. We're the original 3D. <laughs> and, and there's something about those emotional lives flying at you 100 miles an hour with no 
as I'm sitting here looking at a microphone with no amplification, with no tech. It's just human to human expressing these incredibly large emotions. There's something very cathartic about that. And I think that to experience honest, true emotion these days is a treat. And I hope that when people come to the opera, that's part of what the fun is, whether it's a comedy, whether it's a tragedy, whether I'm laughing at the, you know, the, the depth of my belly or whether it's making me cry. It's a genuine, honest emotion. And I will say this for Piedmont Opera as its artistic director. That's always my goal mm-hmm. when when opera is, you know, just up there because it's opera and the singing is just for singing. Uh, it doesn't. It's clear that that you know we're looking at the time clock and it you know it's not it's not genuine and it's not honest and that's something I'm always looking for in rehearsal. I'm always pushing my artists to find in rehearsal. I'm always considering when I make a casting decision. Um, I, I I want there to be an honest communication between everybody on that stage and everybody in that theater, and I think that's part of the joy of it. My guest has been James Albritton, General and Artistic Director of Piedmont Opera in Winston-Salem, which is set to open another terrific season on Friday, October 27th at 8 p.m. at the Stevens Center with the Christmas-themed opera Silent Night. James, thank you so much, and let's not wait so long for the next visit, okay? It'd be my pleasure. Thank you, Frank. For the WDAV Piedmont Arts Podcast, I'm Frank Dominguez. This has been the Piedmont Arts Podcast, presented by WDAV and powered by Ortho Carolina. Subscribe to this podcast at wdav.org slash subscribe, and follow us on Facebook for classical music news, humor, and programming updates. WDAV is a service of Davidson College, supported by listeners like you. Find us on the radio at 89.9 FM and HD1, streaming at WDAV.org, or on our mobile app, available at Google Play and the iTunes App Store. Thanks for listening.